Hi, you're listening to a podcast brought to you by the teaching team at New Life in North Lincolnshire. New Life is committed to helping transform people and transform places through the love and power of Jesus Christ. We hope you, in some small way, will be blessed and transformed by this message. speaking on the parable of the Good Samaritan, another really, really popular one, one that we've all heard probably, if you've been in church for maybe a year or longer, you've probably heard this parable uh, parable a lot of times. It's a favourite one in NLK settings, in kids' church settings, because it has a really good uh, ending. It's got a really good moral to the story. Um, And so I thought I'd tell you a story about an unlikely hero in my life, okay? So as many of you may be aware, we've been through some, some sort of pandemic, okay? And just before the pandemic, December 2019, I had my first baby. And we were then flung into, three months later, into a pandemic. And I was doing really well for the first kind of two weeks of newborn life with a baby, and then it all went downhill there from me, for me. I really struggled with my mental health, really struggled with this baby that cried constantly. She had some issue with her tongue. It wasn't tongue tie, but they said, we can fix it, but you might as well just wait till she's six months old. And then suddenly six months felt like a really, really long time, especially when the baby cries constantly. Fast forward to March when we hit pandemic and everybody's locked down. I'm no longer able to see my health visitor. I'm no longer able to go to any baby groups that I'd only just managed to get to. And I'm no longer able to get help from my mum and dad who had just moved down the road, who had moved up so that they could be closer. And now I'm no longer able to get help from them. A few issues I have with the decision made by the government in that aspect, but we got on with it. Then Dan got sick. Dan got really sick. And we had every thought that it was COVID. And because I was asthmatic, and at the time, the rhetoric around COVID was, if you have any breathing issues and you catch COVID, you will die. We were terrified. And so we locked Dan away in the spare bedroom, home testing. You know, there wasn't the lat flow test and stuff like that. It wasn't easy. And so we ordered a test, and it took him a week to get a test to us. Well, by that point, the test is null and void because Dan's been locked away for a week anyway. So he's locked away in the spare room, and I am left with a baby who doesn't sleep, who cries consistently, who wasn't putting any weight on, didn't like feeding, and we hit a heat wave. And so I was just like, I am in so much trouble. And I remember putting Abigail down in her crib, she was screaming her eyes out, and I rang my mum and said, I can't do this anymore. It's done. I don't want to do it. I can't cope with the baby. My husband's sick. He, he could die. If I catch it, I could die. And if she catches it, she could die. And we're all going to die in the house and no one will know. And so, yeah, this is the catastrophizing version of my brain, okay? And so I panicked. And my mum said, right, what will happen is I will move in with you. And uh, we will just figure this out together. So once she came into our house, that would be it. Door's locked. You can't leave, mum. You're here forever. But the problem was that my mum also cared for my elderly grandparents. So throughout the pandemic, she cared for them and would go and do their shopping for them and make sure that they had everything that they needed because as 
The elderly generation were also told, if you catch COVID, you will die because you're vulnerable. So we were trying our best to make sure that they were protected. And my mum's going, but you need help. And so my mum was now weighing up the decision, look after my parents or my daughter and granddaughter. And the unlikely hero in the story, she's not in here to hear it, was my sister, who stepped up and said, I'll move in with her. The girl who's had no experience of raising children, the girl who suddenly would be going, I now have to sleep on a sofa for the next however long, because there's no spare beds. She moved in with us for seven weeks. The poor girl, we were killing each other by the end of it, pulling our hair out, but she was an absolute lifesaver. And in the morning when Abigail got up at like half four in the morning to feed, I'd feed her and then I'd run downstairs, hand her to Bethann, and then I'd run back upstairs, shut the door, shut the curtains, put my earphones in and go to sleep for two hours because it was the only chance I got. And bless her, Bethann was standing in the living room rocking this screaming baby and she literally saved us during that time and then when Dan got better he was still really weak so Bethann stayed for longer and she was my unlikely hero in the story and bless her we both vowed never to live with each other again <laughs> no we would but we'd make, need to make sure she had a separate part of the house because she's in the living room she had no spa space to herself and uh, a small baby adds all sorts of tough dynamics anyway so yes, she was my unlikely hero. So today I'm talking about the Good Samaritan, really well known, and we know who the unlikely hero is if you've heard this before. So I'm just going to read it for you from Luke 10. Luke 10, verses 25 to 37, and it says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. How many times have we done that? So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is a really long way, uh, when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring, an oil, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you might have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. See, the shocking part of this story is that Jesus used a Samaritan as the hero in the story. If you know anything about Jewish culture back in the day of Jesus, Samaritans were the lowest of the low. They were the enemy. They were the ones that we spoke down about. In fact, there was even a famous prayer that many Jewish people used that started, thank God that I'm not a Samaritan. 
And it went on to say also that I'm not a woman, but that's to preach for another day. Um, so thank God that I'm not a Samaritan, yet Jesus chose a Samaritan to be the hero of the story. And he was an unlikely hero because it was a wildly uncomfortable concept. The fact that someone who the Jewish people said, well, they're not worthy of worshipping our God, the, the Jesus who worshipped their God said they are worthy. The Jesus that was stood in front of them, who we worship and who we celebrate, said that the Samaritans are worth everything because they are the hero in my story. And so it was a shocking revelation to the people of the time. You see, the, the religious person who had asked the question of Jesus was trying to trip Jesus up a little bit. He was trying to show that he was quite clever because he could have just left it with and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, yeah, you've got it right. Absolutely spot on. No problem. But instead, the religious guy goes, and tell me who my neighbor is, Jesus. Because of course Jesus isn't going to turn around and go, it's the person that you see as a dog down the road. You see, in the days of Jesus, dogs and pigs were pretty low on the scale and Samaritans were classed as lower than that in so many circumstances that we hear them talked about. And yet, Jesus uses a Samaritan to show how the love of God really should be expressed. See, when Jesus talks about the fact that the Samaritan saved the man, he's saying that the Samaritan is showing and expressing his love of God through his actions. And the fact that a Samaritan could love God better than a Jew, oh my gosh. You see, the Samaritan had every right, like the priest and the Levite, to make excuses as to why he could not save the man, as to why he could not stop at the side of the road. And here are a few of the reasons. Cleanliness. The priest and the Levite both knew that if they stopped to help the man and got blood on themselves, that they would now need to go through a cleansing ritual because they were now unclean, which meant that they might not be able to step into the temple, which meant that they may not be able to do some of their other religious ceremonies because for however many days, I think it was seven, they, something like that, Dan's kind of nodding at me, um, they would not be allowed to go into the temple because they needed to be clean and blood was seen as being unclean. What about safety? Genuine concern. This guy's been robbed, mugged and left for dead and if I stop to help him, what will happen to me? Will I be robbed? Will I be taken advantage of? Are the robbers hiding somewhere and they're going to come and get me? You see, because the sort of place where these guys were traveling, there wouldn't have been anyone to shout for help for. That's why nobody knew that the guy had been robbed and left for dead because nobody had seen it happen. Holiness, and I've just touched on this, but the, the, the holiness which they equated to being holy and being allowed in the temple would have been tarnished through blood. And also, who is the man on the floor? Because I don't know who it is. Oh, and actually, Jesus doesn't tell us who the man on the floor is. Some of us have come to conclusions that it could possibly be a Jewish man. It could possibly be a man of wealth, but Jesus doesn't tell us any of that. In fact, the only thing that Jesus does tell us is, one, it was a man, and two, the man was robbed and left for dead. And the whole point of that 
is really, I, I found fascinating. So I would listen to a podcast yesterday, something called Two Texts, by uh, my dad and a guy called David Harvey. And these two are scholars. They've researched Jewish law. They understand the Bible. They, they've done lots of research. And a point they brought out that I'd never, ever heard before was this. Jesus didn't tell us the identity of the person lying on the ground because it wasn't about the person's identity. It was about the action of the other's. Because if we make it about the identity of the person, we can make loads of excuses. We can go, well, hold on a minute. If the Samaritan knew it was a Jew, he may have gone, "Uh uh-uh, washing my hands of this, I am walking away. But he doesn't know whether it's a Jew or not because someone lying bleeding on the ground with no clothes on doesn't have very many identifying markers. See, what happens when we put someone's identity over our actions of service towards them or for them. None of the information about the man matters. Was he black or white? No idea. Was he gay or straight? Haven't got a clue. Was he Jewish or Gentile? Still don't know. But yet the Samaritan still chose to help, and strangely, the priest and the Levite still chose not to help. It could have been one of their own, and they still left them to die on the side of the road. What Jesus is saying here is that there's no excuses. Whether you know the identity of the person in need or not, Jesus isn't judging that, he's judging your behavior towards them. Our actions towards a person should always come above the circumstances in which that person finds themselves. You see, sometimes we may walk past people and go well you put yourself in that situation so you can get yourself out have you ever have you ever heard yourself do that maybe as a parent or someone that's worked around children or been around kids well you got yourself up there you can get yourself back down and then the kids comes falling down bangs ahead well it serves you right you're the one that got yourself up there now i have an issue with that on so many levels but Jesus is saying, ah, 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 I'm not telling you what the circumstance is. It doesn't matter what the circumstance is. Each person deserves love. Each person deserves help. So here's the difficult question. What are your excuses? What are my excuses? What are some of the excuses we sometimes come up with? Genuine excuses. So some of these excuses from the priest and the Levite, they were genuine excuses. They would have made their lives a little bit tricky for a while. But we sometimes put our excuses above our service of other people. So here are some of the excuses that I have come up with over time. The first one being time. I don't have time to help this person. If I stop to help this person, or if I stop to give um, time or or, or whatever, I now am robbing time from myself. I now will not have time to get X, Y, and Z done. I'm running about. I've got groceries to buy. I've got this to buy. Do you know what? If Wendy Bainbridge, who runs Open House, said, I don't have time to feed the homeless because it takes up something like five, six hours of her day on a Wednesday, then how many homeless people would have been left hungry every single week? But yet, she puts the time excuse to one side. Wendy is one of my, she's not here today, but she's one of my heroes. And I think she's amazing because she's gone, yeah, I have to give up my time and my energy, yet... I am serving those who need Jesus. What about our ability? 
a genuine excuse. I don't have the ability to help this person. Maybe I am not strong enough to lift the man up off the floor. Maybe I don't have the, the right um, education or the right... Hey, listen, we all have the ability to point people in the right direction. Just because you are not a certified counsellor doesn't mean you can't point someone to someone who is. Just because you are not a marriage therapist doesn't mean that you just leave people dying in the road. You go, hey, let me find someone who can help. Because although you might not be fixing the problem, and that's okay, you are finding a way to help people get to a place where they can. Look, all you can do is love people, and what they do with it afterwards is their responsibility. See, if the Samaritan had picked up the man off the road and taken him, got him cleaned up, and then the man had gone, well, you know what, I'm, I, now that I'm better, I'm just going to walk up. We don't know what the ending of the story is. And the man had gone, well, I'm, getting, I'm not going to say thank you. I'm not going to post it on social media and say what a great guy he was. I'm not going to stand up in the temple and say, guys, I was saved by this Samaritan, so we all should love Samaritans. He could have just walked away, and they'd have never heard from each other. And so often we want someone to say, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you that you've given of yourself. And it's nice to hear that. I'm not going to pretend it's not. But when that's our driving factor, you will always be disappointed. And that's when you hear people say, I'm never doing it again. I'm never going to help them again because I didn't get out of it what I hoped to get out of it. I'm not sure Jesus felt like he got the gratitude out of dying on a cross that maybe he deserved just saying. Another reason that we might give excuses, our finances. The Samaritan picked up the guy and paid for him to stay in an inn. Now, I am not a biblical scholar, so I don't know what the equivalent of the two denarii is in English pounds, but that doesn't matter because our finances are attached to us. Anyone else feel a little bit like, yeah, you want my money? Do you not know we're in the cost of living crisis? Do you not know it cost me £99 to fill up my car? Yeah, the, the sick feeling that we had when we watched the numbers keep going, I'm going, oh Lord, thank you that we have the money to fill up the car. But so often we put finances in the way. Now listen, I'm not saying that you just go around going, oh, um, do you need help? Ah, here, here's £500. That, lovely, if you feel that God said that. But what I am saying is, don't let finances stop you from helping somebody. That it's not always what, you don't always need to give out money, but what can happen is, hey, like, you know, we're trying to, trying to teach that we, we help people, and if that costs us financially, that's okay. It doesn't mean giving out wads of cash. It means helping people in the best way we can. That might mean driving someone somewhere, and you're going, but it's just cost me £99 to fill up my car, and they're not about to give me petrol money. It's true. Yeah. Oh, oh, well, um, oh, I could put that person up in my house because they're, they're, they're in need or I could pay for a hotel, but either way, it's going to cost me. Or I could find a shelter for them to stay in, but either way, it's going to cost me in some sort of way. See, when we put cost above person, we've kind of lost the point. We've kind of missed out on the point. Here's another couple of excuses we sometimes give. Bias. Well, that person's a different colour to me. 
That person doesn't speak well enough English, good enough English for me to help them. That person is um, of a different gender to me or a different sexuality to me. So therefore, I just, God loves you, but I'm just going to take a couple of steps back because I don't want to get caught up in this. And that's an uncomfortable place to come to where you recognise your own biases. I'm not, listen, I don't think anyone's a bad person for having a bias unless they use that against people. We all have biases. But what we should be doing is recognising it and going, but this is my bias. For whatever reason, the world I've grown up in has taught me that this is okay. But God teaches me that all people are equal. God teaches me that the identity of the person I'm helping does not matter. What about fear? Fear of helping somebody. Fear of what that will do to you. Fear of what that will look like. The perception of it. Oh my goodness. I mean, I've grown up in church all my life and perceptions are one of those big things talked about. Does it look okay? Even though under the surface it might not be. Does it look okay? And if it looks okay, then we're all good with it. You know what? Sometimes it might look funny. It might look a bit dodgy. It might look a bit... And you have to justify yourself and say, actually, this is what was happening. But when we put people first, when we put God first in helping his people, sometimes we're going to have to come up against criticism. Sometimes we are going to have to come up against hard moments where we have to go, yeah, I can see what that looked like, but here's what happened. Listen, protect yourself in those moments. Don't put, try, try really hard not to put yourself in a situation where you're going to come out of it going, oh, everybody thinks that something's going on that's not going on. Try and protect yourself in it. But listen, people first. And you might disagree with that, and that's okay, but I, I, I grew up in a world where it mattered more what it looked like than what was actually happening sometimes. And I just um, kind of had enough of it. I've kind of got to the place where I go, people have been let down because it looked one way, but they needed Jesus. And we let them down. Maybe it's a fear of, I've done it before, I've helped people before, and I have been stung before. Haven't we all? Haven't we all had moments where I've helped that person and then they've spoken badly of me behind my back? Or or publicly. That's always fun. Uh, how about I've, I've given this to this person and then they sold it. <laughs> Once you give, it's up to them. If we, if we went down that line of we'll only give, we'll only do for other people if their reciprocation of it is something that we want and it's the way we want it to be, we'd have never opened the lighthouse. Because if you speak to any of the staff there, you will know that it's not always work out the way they thought it might work out. People haven't always reacted or behaved in a way that they expected them to. Having to maybe replace a carpet in one of the rooms because a resident decided to behave in a way that ruined the carpet because he was leaving. But we still keep loving people. We haven't cordoned off that room and gone, no more! bought a new carpet, replaced it, or it's being replaced, and someone else will move in next. Fear can stop us so often doing the very thing that God is asking us to do. 
And my final one, and there's probably a million more, but an inflated sense of self. Oh, squeaky bum time. It's, it's a bit uncomfortable to think about that. But an inflated sense of self. I'm better than this. I'm better than them. I've not let myself get into that situation. Hey, great, good. I'm so glad that you have not found yourself at rock bottom. But what happens when you do? And we need somebody to love on us. And the person that we left lying in the dirt walks past us and goes, no way. We don't do it because we want back. We do it because we love people and we want the best for them. But as a white middle-class woman, it's easy for me to go, well, I've got life. To, I own a house. I've got a car. I've got a nice life. I've done everything that I should do. I've kind of done most things right. And so you've got yourself in that situation. Oh, you should have done what I did. No, nope, not everyone has the same starting point. And it's not fair of us to put what we might say that we would do into, into that situation. Because I tell you now, unless you found yourself in that specific situation, you've got no idea how it would work out. You've got no idea what your response would be to it. And so as followers of Jesus, we need to take all that, wrap it up, and boot it out and go, none of that matters. I need to check myself and I need to go, but these are people. These are people that Jesus loves. These are people that were created by God. Whether they are doing what's right or wrong, these are still people. How you treat the server at McDonald's matters as much as how you treat somebody here in the church building. And I, I have been around people long enough that when you've sat with them and you've gone, I can't believe that you would speak to another human being like that. I worked at a sports shop for three years and I couldn't get over how many people treated me like dirt purely because I was a server in trackies at the, de at the till instead of going, she's a human being. Yeah. And there were people from churches in the town that I lived and I knew that they went to church and they didn't recognize me and they treated me like rubbish because they didn't think anyone was watching. Here's the thing, how you treat somebody who's serving your pizza at Pizza Hut, how you treat somebody who is checking your baggage in at the airport if you get to go on an aeroplane, because that's fun. How you treat... <laughs> people are laughing at me. How you treat people in every situation and circumstance is a direct reflection of how we treat God, of how we think about God. They are his children, and we need to do better. We need to be better. And you might be sat there going, oh, I have, like, lost it. Uh, here. Being on the phone to Carphone Warehouse for six hours for a whole year. Wasn't that a whole year? Back on the phone every single week to try and sort an issue where they owed me money. And I was like, I am not letting this go. And, and let me just be honest, I completely lost my temper one of the days, completely lost it, and screamed at the guy and told him, you need to fix this, it is your job, sort it out, I lost it. And as I took a breath, I felt that still small, still small snudge, still small nudge from God of, hey, check yourself. And I took a breath and I went, um, can I, sorry, I need to apologize. 
I'm a follower of Jesus and I've just treated you like garbage and I'm really, really sorry. And he was like, oh, uh, no, it's okay. I went, no, it's really not okay. He says, it happens all the time. That doesn't matter. What matters is that how I treated you is a direct reflection of how I think of Jesus. It's a direct reflection of what I think you are, of who I think you are in the eyes of God. And so, listen, we all get stuff wrong. We all get into arguments. We all lose our temper. We all, this happens. But it's the response afterwards which is actually really important. The Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The two are connected. Therefore, our love of God and our behavior towards his people are inseparable. They are linked. They are as one. How you treat your neighbor is how you believe you should be treating God. And we go, whoa, no, no, of course not. I, I would never speak to God like that. Well, why not? Because it's wrong, because it's rude, because it's unkind, because it's not loving, because it's not patient, because it's got no self-control. Well, don't treat other people that way either. Listen, people rile us up. I work with children. I'm about to work with young people. They know how to press buttons. And yet they deserve as much respect as God does. They deserve as much care and love in the way I speak as anybody else. I hate the fact that people go, well, children should just do as they're told. You haven't respected them. It's probably a preach for another day. (laughs) Often we focus on the law, the rules surrounding our Christian faith, much like the priest and Levite focused on the rules that were surrounding their faith that meant that they left the love to one side. And when we focus on the law and we make that more important... And we we go, well, I need to focus on the things that please God. I need to make sure I'm praying. I need to make sure that I read my Bible every day. I need to make sure I'm fasting. I need to make sure I'm tithing. Listen, these are all important things. But without love, it's like a a symbol just making a massive big gong somewhere in the Bible. Without love, what's the point? Without love, these are all just things we're ticking off and going, I'm doing these things because it's going to get me into heaven. It's all going to be great. God is asking us to love people. And when we put law over love of people, we put law before God. When we put law over love of people, we put law before God. I have grown up in church, and I've heard the phrases used about these silly religious people in the Bible who added 660-something laws on top of the 10 that God had already given them. How silly. Why would they do such a thing? God has already given them... Oh, sorry. Siri's talking to me. God has already given them 10 laws, and yet they are adding another 600 and something. That's so silly. And I've heard Christians talk about it and go, oh, we're not, we're not like the Israelites who didn't listen to God, and we're, we wouldn't do that, and we wouldn't add all these laws. But yet I've grown up in church where it's been, oh, are you really wearing that to church? Is that appropriate? Anyone ever heard that? Oh, you have a tattoo. What would your father say, Elena? He paid for it. (laughs) Thank you, Katie. Oh, um, 
I heard that you went to the cinema last night. This is something that I heard was a thing back in the day that Christians weren't allowed to go to the cinema. There's Christians nodding at me going, yeah, yeah. People getting taken off serving at church because they went to the cinema. Really? Women having to wear hats to church. And if they didn't bring one, there was a hat box. That was a thing, apparently. But that's us putting law, our laws, our rules, over the love of people. Because can I just say, someone walks into church and the first thing you say is, why have you got a hat on? It's not very um, respectful to Jesus. As a man, as a woman, apparently you can wear a hat. As a man, why are you wearing a hat in church? And that guy goes, this is the first time I've stepped out of my house in two years, I'm never coming back. Because you've looked at law over love. You've seen the identity of the person instead of being obedient to the call of God. And you might be looking and going, Elena, this stuff doesn't happen. It really does. I I have walked into church before and somebody has made a derogatory comment about what I am wearing. And then I've got to get up and preach and go, it's all good people. I I have heard people jab at people. Let's not say this, church. I've heard people jab at others and go, oh, why have you done this? Oh, that doesn't fit into what my view of what Jesus would want is. Hey, let's stop that. Listen, I am all for us trying to be the best that we can be. But your best is not somebody else's. So I might not come to church wearing a bikini, thank God, because that is not my best. When I'm coming to serve Jesus, that is not my best. But hey, how do you know what somebody's background is? How do you know what somebody else has been going through? How do you know that them coming to church with jeans ripped all the way down? My favorite comment when I come to church in ripped jeans. Jeans ripped all the way down, and you go, oh, oh, you, you really got, like, those, those jeans are very ripped. Those jeans aren't very, very, they're very holy. That's my favourite thing people say. Listen, your best, you, you do your best. It's not somebody else's best. So let's take our view of law and remind ourselves what the truth actually is, what the Bible actually says, and do everything in love. I have heard stories of people that have left church because of laws we, as followers of Jesus, have put in place that have made them feel uncomfortable. You have too many piercings. I don't like what you're wearing. Are you sure you should be living with your girlfriend? Are you sure you should be doing this? Are you sure you should be going to the cinema? Didn't you go out drinking the other night? Listen, stop. I understand we want the best for everyone. But when we put law over love, we put a wall in front of them and Jesus and they never find him because we get in the way, because we look at the person in the dirt and go, excuse me, you should have more clothes on. Excuse me, are you a Jew? If you are, I might help you. Doesn't that sound silly? And yet we do that. Maybe you don't. Maybe you have this absolutely down and you have never, ever made this mistake. I have. 
and I probably will do it again. And somebody has every permission to give me a swift kick up the backside and go, love over law. Sort yourself out, Elena. Because where we put law first, and we see this in our society, we, we draw a gap. We push people away. Because people look at us and see Jesus. And then they go, I don't want that Jesus. I don't want that person. So as the band come, and I'm going to uh, draw to an end. don't know why I'm moving things. I want to encourage you, and myself, because I am human, and I get this stuff wrong, and some of you have may have found yourself at the end of me getting stuff wrong. Some of you have may have found yourself going, oh, Elena, that wasn't very Christian now, was it? I am very sorry. I am learning. I am trying my best. And here's the thing. If you find yourself being law over love type person, it's okay to apologize. It's okay to go, ah, I made a mistake and find that person and apologize. We all do it. We're all human. Our human feelings come to the forefront so often. Hey, let's make it normal to apologize. Let's make it normal to walk up to someone and say, hey, Anne, I'm so sorry I spoke to you like that last week. I was tired and I'm really sorry. Hey, Vicky, I'm so sorry that I spoke to you about your dress like that. You looked great. It wasn't my place. She's looking at me like, hey, what's wrong with my dress? It's beautiful. Hey, Sarah, it wasn't my place to say whether you should have been out last night or not. That's, that's up to you. I'm not saying Sarah was out last night. I have no idea. Let's make it normal to apologise to people when we get this wrong. Let's untangle ourselves from law and drown ourselves in love. Let's take the laws that we have added and said, well, I can't help this person because it'll make me unclean. Jesus came to eradicate that stuff. Jesus came to say the laws that we've put in place, that we have added as humans, are not what God has put in place. If if you're not sure, there's the Ten Commandments. If you're not sure, let's read our Bibles and learn. Jesus came to take the messiness of law and replace it with love. Because if it was about law, there is no way on this earth Jesus would have died on a cross. There is no way on this earth he would have spent time with prostitutes and tax collectors. There is no way on this earth that he would have conversed with children in the way that he did. There is no way. There is no way he would have laid his life down as the Prince of Peace, as the King of Kings, as the God of all the earth. Would he have laid his life down to die for me and you? And yet, Jesus took law, our law, and replaced it with love. And he wants the same for us. See, whether the person in front of you is someone that you love or not, whether you know something about their identity or not, whether they've put themselves there or not, our job is to love. Our job is to show grace. Our our job is to pick them up out of the dirt because I hope that when I find myself in a moment like that that someone would come and pick me up and say I'm here I'm here 
because God loves you and he loves me and I know that. Our world has got so many rules going on. Laws have been passed, eradicated, things have been changed. It's become a tangled mess of stuff that as Christians we're having to try and find our way through. And I understand how confusing some of that can be because I am in the same place. I'm going up, but the Bible doesn't give me a specific rule about, about this thing that's happened, or the Bible doesn't say specifically what to do about this politician, or the Bible doesn't say specifically how to handle this sort of situation. But what the Bible does tell us is to love. And then we'll figure it out. We'll wobble through it together. But let's untangle ourselves from law. Let's take away the rules of constantly being like, well, we all have to fit into this. Listen, the longer that we spend with Jesus, the longer that we try and align our hearts to him, the more like him we become. And so in that we learn, and our journey is about learning and trying to figure it out, and there is some stuff at the beginning of your journey that you will think is acceptable. And then halfway through your journey, you go, actually, I've changed my mind on that. And I, I need to just readjust my position on this. That's okay. But what has to remain the same, what has to remain the same in order to see our world saved and loved and found in Jesus is our love of people, our love of others. Hey, it's easy to love some people. Some people are really difficult. I've probably been difficult to love many a time. And yet I had a kids pastor, a youth pastor, parents, grandparents, friends, people in church, people that just walked alongside me, people that just brushed up next to me for a season who showed me the power and the love of Jesus Christ through their love of me. I wasn't the finished product when I started out in church ministry. I am not the finished product now. And yet, the only way people can journey with Jesus is when we show them love. Otherwise, we put, turn them away. So, my challenge to us today and for always, let's put love over law because people need Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message from New Life in North Lincolnshire. To find out more, do visit us online at newlifechurch.uk or why not pay us a visit? We'd love to see you.